And we're back. Welcome to Deep Thinking, the only motorcycle road racing podcast where you will hear about sphincters, hickory farm, and individually tailored to your unique preferences. I just thought I'd get all the cliches out really early, Ed, and so we can move on to new stuff. Yeah, you need some new stuff. <laughs> this is podcast number 80. Oh, wait, and this is for Tracy. That makes me a genius. It's, it's number 80. He's Ed Sorbo. You can find him on the web at Lindemann Engineering or le-suspension.com. I am Michael Gugis. You can find my writings, genius or insane person rantings, at motorcycle road racing. I'm sorry, motorbikeroadracing.blogspot.com. I got to get that made to a real website instead of a blog. But either, anyway, you can find it. And um, that's where you'll find me. Ed, let's talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Dun, 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 dun. No, well, that's not how it goes. Dun, 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 dun. Let's go running around in a space station. Right. The outside spoke. Oh, it's pretty, it was pretty. You know what we actually could do? What? We could jump up and down like monkeys and beat things with sticks. How's that? <laughs> lately, I've been telling people. Don't, I've been, lately, I've been telling people, don't make me beat you with the jawbone of an ass. <laughs> That's a biblical reference for you heathens out there. So, um, why did I want to talk about it? So the whole thing goes horribly wrong when Hal figures out that they're conspiring against him. The computer on, on right, the spaceship, yeah, yeah. right? We all know who Hal is. Right. So why? I'm sorry, Dan, I can't do that. Right? So why? Hey, Catherine. Catherine brought us apples. I mean, it, well, it, it was like we begged her for broccoli, but she said no. <laughs> You're not going to get anything. She's not. She's going to just give you that look. So anyway. Even, our, our listeners what, can actually hear that look. That what, what was Al saying? <laughs> no, the question how? is how. The question becomes, why would you create a computer that was capable of going batshit? There's a scene where the, uh, the computer... Because it makes a great movie plot. No. <laughs> it's more than that. When you're launching a probe to... Really? Because ju- Space Odyssey has that plot. And uh, the Terminator movies have that plot. This all... But hold and, on. This all goes towards what happened at Magello. Okay, that's that's where I'm going with this. Oh, okay. Okay. Somebody high-sighted so high, exactly. they went to the nearly, space station. Nearly Jupiter. No, yeah. Nearly Jupiter. You're sending a manned uh, ship for the first time to Jupiter. Yep. You need to stack the odds in your favor. Okay. Every possible advantage. If the computer is not smart enough to read lips, which is where Hal figures out that they, you know, they're starting to plan against him, if the computer is not smart enough to read lips, it might not be smart enough to do some other stuff, and when you need it to do those things, it won't be able to adapt. So you make a conscious choice. We're going to run the risk of making the computer this crazy smart and hope that it doesn't go batshit on us. And how does this relate to Magello? Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> the um, the Omaha. See, folks, you only have to listen to this shit. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> it's like I live this in its stuff. presence. I live this because Yamaha made a decision at Magello, and that decision was we're going to have to push this right to the very, very edge. And they made the they they took a risk. They took a risk. Oh, so you're saying that they deliberately let the engine rev more and that their thing about the software problem is a smokescreen? Mm-mm. Excuse me. I'm saying that even if the software problem was what it was, they were still right on the edge of the thing blowing up. 
you know, they know. Well, right on the edge of the thing blowing up is where you're trying to get. It's not blowing up. And it's right on the edge. And that's my point. You run it right on the edge, and you, you kind of keep your fingers crossed. Well, it is called racing. Absolutely. So That's a wonderful thing about it. That's one of the things I love so, about racing. So you think racing, they're, they're pushing the limit, they're taking risks. Absolutely. How about this space computer reference? Okay. Okay, so we wanted to send the Voyager space probes out into space. Okay. And we had an opportunity to do the grand tour, right? So by using gravitational slingshotting, right. when the planets line up in the correct order, you can you can go from Earth to the next place and get some more speed into the right. next, right? And this happens, you know, seven-year cycle or some kind of thing like that. So we're coming up on the next one and we want to do it. And of course, these are the probes that have now headed out into deep space. We'll keep going forever. They have the messages from Earth on them, right? When we sent the probes, when it was time to launch the probes, we, we had two computer choices. One computer that was strong enough to do the job, mm -hmm. but could not be reprogrammed. And an older style that wasn't quite, had enough space and power to do all the thinking it needed to do, but was reprogrammable. And so we launched using the reprogrammable system right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that in the 10 years or whatever it was going to take, or trusting that in the 10 years it was going to take, we would develop mm -hmm. the ability to communicate. We didn't have the ability to communicate, right. to send signals out yet, but we would, and we would be able to send new code to deal with whatever problems came up. And so while the thing was traveling, we built the large array. That's where you have all those telescopes, the sound, <laughs> right, the big right, antennas right, right. out in the desert on the railroad tracks, and they move them around to do different things. We built that system so that we could do other things right. and listen to the weak signal from the probes. Mm -hmm. And one of the keys when they reprogrammed it, because the thing was so far away, right. that when it points its antenna at Earth <laughs> to send the weak signal, and the signal is like a tenth of a tenth of a light bulb or something, right? right? So we had to have this huge array to collect the signal. The spinning of the hard drive motor would cause the antenna to wobble and send the signal, you know, thousands of miles off course. So they reprogrammed it to do all of its work out of RAM when it was sending <laughs> the signal so the motor didn't have to be spinning because it would cause the wobble. Crazy and those clever. guys had the stones to send that, however much money that mm -hmm. was, out knowing when they launched it that they could not accomplish right. what they needed to do in the end that they would come up with a solution. I thought, that is some fucking balls. That's, you know what? That yeah, is it'll be... really... Cool. It'll be good when we get there. That, that is that <laughs> is science genius. Yeah, absolutely. There. So let's talk a little bit about science. Uh, let's talk about uh, Michelin tires. You know, it's a good point you brought that up. I got a question from somebody on Facebook. No way. Yeah. Really? Not the smartest guy I get questions from. <laughs> he asked me a question about valving uh, suspension. Okay. And it was a specific thing, like proprietary kind of information. And mm -hmm. I told him, I, I can't tell you that. I sure as hell ain't going to tell it to somebody who hasn't been a customer yet. He just emailed me, uh, Facebook messaging me, right? And his response was, well, how am I going to learn if you don't tell me? You know what my response to that was? Huh. I didn't respond. It's pointless, right? You know, I'm not a teacher. I'm not being paid to teach you, that's right? That's true. You know? That's true. And how do you think the rest of us found, uh, learned? We, we fucking figured it out. We, we tried stuff. Or, or we paid for the knowledge. Yeah, exactly. You know? Somehow, some way. Well, but that's allegedly so what my students are his doing. His question was, he was confused because... The guys were running a soft rear and a hard front. Right. So the first point, folks, is they, they're they talking about relative to the front tire. 
So you have a soft front tire, a medium front tire, and a hard front tire. Right. And that hardness or softness is not equate right. to the rear. So the hard right? front the, could be the soft rear compound or somewhere similar. It could be softer than a rear. Who knows? But or the harder. two tires have a different job. Right. And then what you can say is that the, the distance between soft and medium and hard front to rear is going to be somewhat similar. Maybe. Right? They're going to go some increment about the same. But when you see them running a, a, a totally different, hard front, soft, that doesn't necessarily in itself mm-hmm. mean anything because you don't know the starting point. Now, exactly. excuse me. You could have a little sympathy for this question because in your street tire world, there more or less is a correlation. Yeah. Right? When you put hard, hard on your bike... They both work about the same. But that doesn't mean that they're the same compound. It means that they work, work about the same. Exactly, That's which is different. what I'm saying. This is why you could think, oh, they're right. the same. It's important to understand that the two tires have a completely different job. In fact... That's why they have a directional arrow on them because the load right. is going one way on the rear from drive and the opposite way on the front from braking. And so the direction is about how the two pieces of rubber right. connect together. The um, In uh, Formula One now, the Pirelli tires, they have a soft, at Monaco, they had soft, super soft, and ultra soft. Right. It's like, going, just, it's like going to McDonald's and ordering a drink. Well, you start at large yeah, and you work exactly. your way up it's, from there. It's just the you know, number. They, you could do the, what Pirelli does in the motorcycle world is they just assign colors. Numbers. numbers. And, and, or zero, numbers. One, yeah, or both yeah, or whatever. Yeah, whatever so, they are. Uh, that's, that's not a bad So don't be thrown off by that fact that tires are specific to the task they need to do. Right. The um, but, What was the tire thing you wanted to talk about? Well, the... Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's something that you can read about my musings on it at motorbikeroadracing.blogspot.com. Because first, and I have to say this to anybody who's listening, um, if you are in the advertising, marketing, or corporate world, if I hear one more time that it, whatever activity that you're talking about is in your company's DNA, I'm going to come and throw up on your desk. Now, what about Michelin's DNA? Here's the thing. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's not bad there, huh? The... We've been hearing the same complaints about Michelin front tires from club racers, from semi-pro racers, from moto journalists, and from 500cc uh, back in the day for years. The same thing. Tons of grip. No, um, no wiggle space at the end of grip. And it's grip, grip, oh my god, I'm not being high-sided to Jupiter, right? Mm-hmm. And why they keep doing that. Because at this level, it's not like the company, as I said, lacks the ability or the intelligence to figure out. You know, they know what's going on. I'm starting on. to wonder about the intelligence. They know what's going on, and they're not changing it. Right. So, but you had a really interesting theory. Yeah, what theory. was that theory? I don't remember. <laughs> Your theory was that the the um, the uh, Michelin-only group of riders and the people who served those people have moved their way up from Oh, the... yeah, yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. Right, right. Go ahead. So... Back in the day, Michelin was the dominant right. tire, and guys like Rossi grew up with those tires and learned how to use and those tires. Doolin, and, Lawson. And they don't even know that they are adapted to Michelin because they're not riding anything else. Right. And those people had whatever positions they had in the company. When I say those people, I don't mean the riders. I mean the guys the, the making t- the tires. The tire technicians. And from what I read, Michelin kept those people around, and now <laughs> they put them back in charge. <laughs> they were, and yeah. so they're going to build the same tire, the same philosophy, the same style. Yep. And they have something that they think is critically important or that they aren't aware that they don't know something. And they've kept it. And they keep doing it. It's, and it's just it's, a, it's the most bizarre thing. 
Um, the uh, it makes you kind of wonder two things. It kind of makes you wonder about that whole rear wheel sliding philosophy on the 500 bikes towards the end of it, you know, or actually uh, early 90 early 90s when they really everybody started really Kenny Roberts dirt track in it. And part of it is you wonder if that's just just wasn't a way of riding around the limitation of the front, the front tire. tire. It could be, you know. Um, that's a real. That's I think that's a really uh, not, not a bad point at all. You know? I think we saw in this race that we just watched the yeah. that 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 you know we came into the season with two big things being different: the electronics and the tires. And I think we're at the point now where the electronics are pretty much they're sorting they're, themselves yeah, out. Right? They're not going to be a big issue. But the tires remain a huge difference from what they had before, yeah. both in in feel and in consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know the tires had a big effect in today's race. Oh, absolutely! Uh, Barcelona, Catalunya, a Spanish GP. Right. Um, speaking of rear wheel stepped out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just read something recently where the guy was talking about Marquez, the author. And he's saying he's stepping the rear wheel out and he's using that to slow the bike down. Okay, here's the thing to understand, people. If you're, you have two points of the bike, the front and the back. Two points they of are contact, connected the to, the, to each ground. other. Yes. If one of them is traveling a greater distance, it is going faster. Yes. Well, so that means when the rear wheel is snaking back and forth, right. it's going faster than the front wheel because it's going the same distance forward, but it's traveling a greater distance to do it. And so, if Unless it's, it's in the air, it's still going faster because it went up. The well, distance yeah. it has to travel is longer. So it's okay. not slowing the bike down. The front is slowing down faster than the back. Marquez steps the rear wheel out so that he can turn the bike because now the bike's angle has changed. Right. It's pointing farther around the corner. And at Catalonia, this whole weekend, all of practice and in the race, <laughs> he's done a beautiful job of it. Watch him. Yes. He's mostly straight going into breaking down zones, and then, you know, a meter before he pitches it into the corner, the back comes out a lot and right. stays there, and then it's like the front lines up with the back. So I'd still think- I want to point out that just because a journalist writes it or an announcer says it doesn't mean it's a fact. The back of the bike, when it's snaking back and forth, is going faster than the front of the bike. That is a fact of physics, and it is not slowing the motorcycle down yeah. as much as the front is. As a journalist, I'm a little upset by this. Yeah, well, okay. turns out um, there aren't a lot of physicists who turn into journalists. No, there's usually more money to be made doing it the other way. Marquez said something to an, in, in one of the, uh, in a recent... He's um, also not a physicist. No, but he said something um, in a recent interview. He said, I use the, I lock up the back to keep me from losing the front. And one of the other riders says, how does that work? Well, <laughs> so one, he could totally just be fucking with the other guy. Yeah. Right. You you don't know all the levels of the onion, right? When you're when those guys are playing cards all right. the time. Right. Okay. So there's that, and then there's the other big point that I keep trying to make to people is that most folks are at the level of God. You need to remember to breathe the whole lap. <laughs> right. right. Don't worry These about these guys. Yeah. Don't even think about that. And so when they talk about something, they're in such a different scale that right. it has a different meaning to them yes. than it does to you, Absolutely. even if they're using the same words. And remember, most of them don't speak English Take as their first way. language. And the author frequently doesn't speak his main language. Yeah. So there's a million. It's like reading a Japanese manual that's been switched to English. I love right? those. They those can be great. fun, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, but there's I, too many 
cooks. It's like playing telephone. You can't it's, take it all. And then on top of that, you, the listener, have the thing that you want to hear. All I know is this. If my somebody disconnected my rear brake on my race bike, I wouldn't know until I rode off the track. Yeah, you know, exactly. And then have to use the rear brake to slow down. By the way, there's one other really cool thing that I noticed about Marquez's riding style while watching this race, which was when the bike goes that sideways... It's like trying to pass two bikes. The thing is like, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm broadsiding this guy. I have a, uh, I got stuck behind, behind a guy named Tony Moniz. Yo, Tony, what's up? Um, who uh, used to race with me uh, out at Willow Springs was, um, on a, uh, he used to have a super motard because his nickname was too tall. And I think Tony was about eight foot four. Okay, so when he would get it to turn two and he would lean over and put his knee on the ground, there was no room to get around him. He took up all 30 feet. It well, was what really happens in those situations, right, is that your attention is grabbed by the thing the rider is doing. Yes. And then you can't pass him. Which was blocking the whole track. Yeah. You know, I I understand what Andrea Inone apparently does not. As you said, there was nothing wrong with his line no, except for that Lorenzo was not. Timing, timing is critical. In, in Star Trek, they have a saying, two starships cannot occupy the same space at the same time. What? In other words, two things can't be in the same place well, we at the know same that. time. Why yeah. do we have to go to Star Trek? Because in that? Star Trek, it's one of the things that God, they say. Dear God, what's next on the list? <laughs> <laughs> well, how are we doing on time, Paul? So to, to uh, we're getting close. Uh, let's do the two-minute board right now. Okay, what do you got for two-minute board? I got a good two-minute board. It um, ties listen. into the thing about rear wheel stepping out and what the journalist says. Okay. So at Cataluma... Um, they had to change the course. Right. And, uh, of course, we'll have a moment of thought here for Louis Salone. Right. Uh, the bad news is that he's God. The good news is he did it while he was racing motorcycles and having a good time, mm -hmm. if there's good news. So they changed the course. And so the announcers were trying to talk about how it's different and whose advantage and all this stuff. And one thing was changing directions, right? And he's okay. talking about all the things you could do to make it change direction easier or be more stable or whatever. And he said they may have moved the forks so far that now the travel is limited. Wow. Yeah, that's just a stupid statement. There's no yeah, way yeah. these guys yeah, move the fork no, so far no, no, no. that the fender is hitting right? the fairing. And it's just another example of just because you read it or just because you heard it doesn't mean it's true. Use... It's, it's got to make some sense. And I'll give the announcer a little slack. He's talking live. He's right. walking in the pit lane. It's noisy, blah, blah, blah. I give him more slack than somebody who would write something like that. Use use your eyes. Use your eyes when you're watching it. We saw something on the pre-grid that was the coolest thing. Honda <laughs> loves Danny Pedrosa. Honda loves There's Danny Pedrosa. There's actually a lot of crew members that do stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, people keep saying, why do they keep rehiring? Why do you? Well, because he just finished third in the yeah, race. They love him and he, you know, he, he does. So what Michael you know. noticed is that one of his crew members has Danny's, Danny's number tattooed on his forearm. So he's got yep. a 26 tattoo on his Absolutely, arm. Absolutely, totally cool, man. Yeah. You know, it's it really is a team sport. You know, it really absolutely Speaking is. Speaking of numbers, on the cool-down lap of oh, the race, right. uh, Marquez got second in the race, uh, and Marquez's number is 93, and right. Louis Salome's number is 39. So on the cool-down lap, he had a crew waiting, and they switched his number to 39. So he had 39 when he rolled into Park Firma. And that, that was nice, too. And I think that's a nice way to wrap this up. You know, with the moment of thought for Louis Salon, you know, it's a, um, it's a tough sport. 
We do, and, and this was one of the things we talked about before we started broadcasting, or, or uh, taping this, recording this, was that this was not one of those tragedies where you look and go, well, of course everything, of course who didn't see this coming? You know, yeah, from uh, what we can tell right now, this looks like one of those weird situations that something mm -hmm. happened in a place where you're like, fuck. Yeah. You know, what, what are you going to do? What do you do? And, and on top of that, smart people got together and tried to fix the problem. I'm really impressed by uh, the, the, the structure, the, infra, every, every, the systems they had in place. Mm -hmm. they, they, it, I can't name anybody. I've been in the position of saying... Okay, I'm standing here. No, that's far enough away. Right. The chances of something happening from here are, are it's just one in a million. Nothing you can do about it. Right. Right. And then that happened. And so then they took action quickly. They did a good job of taking that action. Yep. You know, they even on the website immediately changed the picture. They put his picture, Louis' picture on the website. Mm -hmm. And if you clicked on the writer file thing and went there, they had already updated to tell his story all the way through to the end. They didn't forget or ignore yeah. they dealt with the situation they had a press release they talked about this stuff it's fantastic you can we were talking about going back in time to uh kenny roberts and the other pros right. leaving spa frankenshaw refusing to ride i think it was because Austria. they had they had repaved it was spa okay they had repaved and the, and the paving was horrible and oil was coming up everywhere Got and, it. The, and the promoter and the organization said fuck you you have to ride right now we have the complete opposite of that yep you know and, and so that's a good it's, thing it's a dangerous sport but damn it at least they're trying and i yeah. will you gotta give them credit for that yeah, we've you know? we've made it as as risk manageable as we can and you know Yep, pretty well, much. We race motorcycles. That's what we do. Yeah. He's Michael Gugis. He's Ed Sorbo. Aloha.